0: Welcome to NRP's Leadership Conference podcast. Every February, pastors and leaders from around the country gather together at our Leadership Conference for dynamic teaching, powerful worship, impartation, ministry, and covenant relationships. Here's one of the recordings from our 2023 Leadership Conference.
1: So we're, you're going to get uh, a triple team today from myself, my mother, Donnell, and then my brother, Cody. And as we go through the three sessions, we're going to get more and more technical from a musical standpoint. And the last session, we're literally going to ad-lib it because we didn't know who's going to be in the room. So we couldn't write a full session because we didn't think there's was going to be a bunch of sound guys, it'd be a bunch of musicians, a bunch of pastors. So the last session, we're just going to have fun with it, okay? Um, but let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you're here. Yes. Father, I thank you that we get a chance, God, to lead our congregations in worship and join with heaven corporately on purpose. And it's only because of the work of the cross and your shed blood that we can even boldly approach your throne of grace with confidence. So we thank you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start macro and we're going to work our way down. Um, if you're a worship leader, you need to be listening. I'm going to talk to you and I'll talk to the pastors. I do have the blessing of being both. Um, I led worship, started leading worship at 12... Got on the worship team at 8. Um, the drummer was six one. I was not. Um, so you can imagine when guest speakers would come and I'd be playing, all they would see was arms and sticks. Um, and then moved to the, I became the main drummer at 12, started leading worship at 17 on Sunday mornings. I led worship for the youth group at 12 before I hit puberty. I don't recommend that. Um, if, you could, if you could help it. But it, you got to it, got, you got to um, and then joined my mom leading on Sunday mornings at 17. Did that until I think I was 30. And then I switched with my brother Cody. I started drumming. We had some holes to fill. I started drumming, and he came and kind of fit the banner up the front. I took the to church two and a half years ago. So I have sat in both seats. So this, this first one is going to kind of be a shot at everybody. Not a shot, but just content to everybody, and then we'll get more and more kind of technical as we go along. Open your Bibles to Psalms 95. Um, verse 1, um, Psalm 95, verse 1. We're going to read verse 1 through 6. O come, if you got your Bible, I want you to underline the word us every time it says us. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is great and the great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth, and the heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before our maker. There's a whole lot of let us's in that passage. If you go to Revelation 4, which I'm not going to go to it because all of you have heard the verse. That's when they, he tells John, come up here, things I want to show you. And he sees the 24 elders in the cherubim. they're bowing down, they're saying, Holy, Holy holy, Lord, God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Again, it is a plural corporate setting. Corporate worship is the form of worship that God is most used to receiving. He has received corporate worship since he created the angels. They were created and they started worshiping. And it's been a corporate setting ever since. Corporate worship, in my opinion, and this is my opinion, this is not doctrinal, this is not an NRP stance, disclaimer there. Corporate worship, in my opinion, is the closest environment to heaven we can experience on the earth. Because I have a feeling that heaven's going to sound a little bit like when we went into, oh, praise the one who paid my debt. When we hit that, I, that, I, I knew that was going to hit kind of cool, like this nice little bridge, fits in Christ alone well, same time signature. miniature. I was not expecting the literal roof of the building to fly off, right? <laughs> that moment right there, I'm like, ah, that's probably like the tippest of the tip of the tip of the iceberg, right? Um, so I think that corporate worship is the closest environment to heaven that we can experience on the earth. Before I go into building a strong worship culture in your local church, I want to briefly define the distinction or make a distinction between praise and worship. We have used this in our worship ministry, Mom. I'm putting you on the spot. When did you start? I know you don't have to say how old you are, but when did you start leading? When did you start doing it? When you, yeah, at 17. A few years ago. (laughs) Lincoln was president, I think. um, um,
0: Right after COVID. No, was it 30
1: or 35 years when you passed it to Cody? What? It was... You said the name and I was making a joke about Jimmy Carter, sorry. 34 is the whole time. I did interim two years
0: Okay. So 36? Um, no, thirty
1: four. Thirty four. So thirty four years she did it, and she did it as a as a, a woman who couldn't play an instrument. So that was interesting, as you can imagine. And she'll get into that more in the second session. Really, y'all, I'm just setting the table. You're going to want to take really good notes when she's talking. She's my personal opinion, and I know it's a little bias. She's my mother. She's probably the greatest untapped resource we have in worship. Um, but. We've always used this definition. The Lord gave me a colorful analogy for a difference between praise and worship. Praise is about Him. Worship is to Him. That's the, that's the most basic way I can give it to you. Praise is about Him. Worship is to Him. Here's my analogy. My wife is a baker. And that is not good for my midsection. And I just went on a serious diet and I now can't taste test at all anymore. I'm just realizing this. I might lose it here. But um, <laughs> no, um, she's a phenomenal baker. And see, right now, I am praising my wife because I'm telling you how great of a baker she is. But what I would not do is I would not go up to my wife and say, Caitlin, you're an amazing baker. You bake so well. Your cakes are so great. My wife, talking to my wife,
0: my wife bakes amazing
1: baked I wouldn't do that. (laughs) If your wife cooks good, don't go, babe, my wife cooks good. That's praise. How many times in worship services is that all we do? But isn't it different when I walk up to my wife in the kitchen and I stop her and I say, baby, that cake was incredible. Baby, you're the best baker there is. I don't care what anybody says, you're the best baker there is. The direction changes, and I will say this, and we'll get into this more as the day goes on. But have you been in a service where we're singing songs and it's awesome, and then all of a sudden we switch songs and this blanket hits the room? Yeah, yeah. right. I rem- I remember like for years I'd be on the drums and I would notice it, but I wouldn't know what the blanket was. Right, the blanket is when you switch from praise. To worship. Yeah. When you switch to praise, to worship. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people, right? That's him coming down to us and inhabiting our praise. When we worship, we're going up to him. Yeah, that's good. And so that's why the whole atmosphere changes. We were at a youth camp one time. And it was two days in a row. It was the night service of the second day, so we'd already had like four worship sets. And at the very end of the set, the worship leader, um, Dick and Susie Bastard's daughter Harvest, starts singing, Holy, Holy, are you Lord God Almighty? Jeff was there. And all the youth pastors are in the back, and the chaperones, and all of us within about 10 seconds were face down on the ground. The Prince of God hit so hard she's trying to close the service to close worship and there's no one to take a mic because all of us are on the ground and we're weeping in the back. The guy speaking, his name's Daryl, he comes in from the back and he's like, what did I miss? What happened? I was in the bathroom. you know." And we take the service and I'm sitting in the chair and I said, Lord, what just happened? I want to know what what was that? And he said, that was the first time you sang to me all week. Think about that. We'll get into that more in a minute. I'm going to give you five reasons that we should have a strong corporate worship culture in our churches. Notice I said not a corporate praise culture, a corporate worship culture. It's a very big distinction, and you're going to notice that as we go through the rest of the day. The first one is worship gathers the sheep. Worship gathers the sheep. Now, I don't know how large your church is, right, Ours on a Sunday can run from 140 to 180 in the sanctuary. It depends on what week it is, right? Our Metairie congregation can go from 40 to 65-ish on a Sunday morning. Miss Marion and Ron Johnson, they probably got a full house most of the services, probably 400, 350 per service. You have three services, right? All right. So regardless of your size of your congregation, if it's 50 people, you have 50 different individual circumstances that are walking in the door. You have husbands and wives who are one, they're one flesh, but they are not one mind. And they could have fought on the way in. They could have had a great day on the way in, but the kids were terrible. And you're coming in with 50 different circumstances, problems, Heart conditions, sin conditions, needing deliverance, needing breakthrough, needing healing, just lost mom, mad at the pastor, husband and wife were fighting in the parking lot. All the different variables that come in, right? The reason that I believe worship goes first, if you all through the Bible, they send the worshipers out first, is because the worship is the one thing that can take everybody from their independent, individualized mindsets and focus them on one thing. Him. Yeah. And so praise, Bible says in Psalm 100, enter his courts with thanksgiving. I mean, enter his gates, thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. Because I don't want to walk in the door and immediately fall to my face. Because my mind's not ready to fall to my face. Because I'm probably thinking about the bill I can't pay. But when I walk in and I sing, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop? Our God is the lion, the lion of Judah. All of a sudden, my credit card bill shrinks in size as the lion of Judah grows in size. Right? It gathers the sheep from their extreme diversity of situations and corrals them into a hey, he's coming. Get ready for him. The second one is worship sets up the ministry. It gathers the body and focuses them on him, not themselves. Now, I'm sure you have noticed, if not, let me help you or at least enlighten you a little bit maybe. Um, I would say, Cody may help me on the year on this. I would I say probably 2010, there was a shift in the songs that were being written to, to an identity movement in worship. Right. Um, who the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. Right? I am all he says I am. Right? Couldn't hit that note. Had to go to falsetto there. Sorry. But, wrong key. But you get the point. It's identity-based, right? I think that that was led by the Holy Spirit ahead of the identity movement we're fighting in the culture. Right? So we knew who we were in Christ before the world told us we didn't know what bathroom to use. Okay? Right? Here's the, here's the challenge, though. When I'm in worship and all I'm singing about is me, I'm not looking to receive from him. And I've been to so many services where we've ended with, um, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Right? Great song. Identity song. I'm not a slave to fear. But I can go home now because I just heard truth. I don't need to hear what the pastor has to say. But the pastor's been praying all week. Close person and getting ready all week. No, I need to be, my mind needs to be set for him. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying so hard not to stop in my mom's session right now. Be I'm trying. <laughs> she knows I'm close. <laughs> now, it sets up the ministry. It Worship should have the congregation ready to receive whatever the Holy Spirit has for them. Mm-hmm. Ready for this? And that doesn't always mean your sermon. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have this secret goal. Every time I lead worship, I want whoever's taking the microphone from me to feel so incredibly awkward because they don't want to end it, but they know they have to. (laughs) That's a goal of mine. Like just now, Pastor Keith, he's like, "I don't want to end this, but I feel like we have to." That's my goal. But and it's not because I want to keep singing. I want to have the congregation to a place that the guy making the transition can't get their attention. Because mm-hmm. yeah. they're so focused yeah. on him, it isn't about me. That's good. Yeah. Pastors, you've ever been in a service where the Holy Spirit hijacks your message and he gives you like a <laughs> rhema word on the spot. And you're like, God, but I studied. Yeah, that was cute. I have another message for you, right? <laughs> you ever had that happen? That's happened to me before, right? Well, the same thing has happened in a worship setting where the worship service is going and I'll be sitting on the front row and I'm like, yeah, I ain't preaching. Because he just said, we're praying for healing, and we need. and the Holy Spirit just starts moving, and people get wrecked. And I just had to accept the fact that he is better at giving people what they need than I am studying and prepping and praying all week. Yeah. And if I'm sensitive to him in the moment, I would rather follow the leading of the Spirit than follow what I thought the leading was on Tuesday. Amen. Amen? So, second one is it sets up the ministry. The third one, worship supports discipleship. Oh, I love these next two. Worship supports discipleship. I believe worship is the single most unused discipleship tool in the church. This is on? Awesome. This is on. All right? You want to know why? Because people know, remember what they sing much easier than what they read and what they're taught. For example, right? Just a small town girl living in a lonely world (laughs) you took the midnight train going. <laughs> you probably haven't heard that song unless you're in a restaurant. You haven't listened to it in a long time, but the moment I played it, you knew that in a few measures you're gonna have the, beep, 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 the guitar solo. You know exactly what's coming. Right? Because it's music. It's music. And because I was a worship leader, I understand this and I was able to use it. For example, um, we went, um, I believe worship can teach doctrine. Worship can teach and enforce doctrine. Worship can help cast vision. Worship can help underlie vision. Worship can steer your ministry better sometimes than your sermons can. Now, here 's the example I will give you. I am a hymn guy i 'm a fan of hymns. if you're not it's okay, I'll pray for you. Um, but we not to get into it, we are in a really rough season as a church. Uh, we've been through a bunch of stupidity we, we're not in our building we're in a lawsuit it's stupid anyway um we need a few million, and since I can't ask money, i got to ask God. I got convicted the other night. I'm not going to talk about it anymore, but we're in a really bad spot. <laughs> and we had moved from our location to another church in the city, the only one that could kind of fit all of us and our kids, and it was rough. We were getting in, not used to, it. it's a different atmosphere. We didn't know where the kids went. Kids didn't know where they are supposed to go. We're finding kids a place they shouldn't be. It was wild, and there, was, there still is. This is almost a year. There's no end in sight. We have no idea. Unless God drops me like a $5 million check, we have no idea what this is going to be, right? How it's going to play out. And I'm in worship one day on my own, driving in my truck, and I started singing, Perfect submission, all is addressed. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. And when I got to, that's blessed assurance, when I got to the line, watching and waiting, looking above, (laughs) I started weeping because I realized that I was not watching and waiting and looking above. I was watching my phone waiting for the lawyer. So I went, I text Cody. I said, hey, we're singing Blessed Assurance Sunday. And he's like, okay. Well, I get in there. Now, they, I pull out hymns a lot when I'm leading worship, but I went up and I exhorted before that last verse. And then I sang it to them. And when I got to the line watching and waiting, looking, you could feel Heaviness and depression breaking off of people. I wasn't preaching. I had about 10 people ask me, Who sings that song? I'm like, Fannie Mae Crosby.
0: <laughs>
1: and she's dead. <laughs> Type in Blessed Assurance. I said, Third Day's got a good version. You'll find it. You know what? People have done it a bunch, but it teaches doctrine. And I could go down a rabbit hole of the different hymns and how they could teach doctrine that we're trying to teach people in discipleship classes that they don't want to attend because they don't want to go to school because they didn't like school and they were in it. When if we sang, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. They're going to walk into Starbucks the next morning stuck on that chorus, I've been washed white as snow. So it can support discipleship. And not just that, I can sing modern songs, I could sing the... Um, uh, that's my next point. Sorry, I could sing something like, um, "Oh, come on, help me, Lord Jesus." Um, everything I do is old, so forgive me. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. And now let the weak say, "I am strong." I'm strong. Let the poor say, "I am rich," not because I have money or because somebody gave me money, because of what? The Lord has done. It's discipleship. That's why I'm so picky on what songs we sing. Yeah, you probably don't want to be my worship leader because I'm super picky. on. I don't know why I'm singing that song because I, like I don't like the theme that it's giving. I don't like the message it's sending. I want our church to walk in truth. So walk in truth. I want them singing truth. The fourth point is that worship champions vision. Worship champions vision. What time, what time am I done? Oh, yes. Worship champions vision. Maybe not word for word, but worship can absolutely give a sound and enforce whatever vision you're looking to implant in your church body. This makes a larger impact when the pastor and his leaders are the lead worshipers in the church. I, I haven't done it as much since I started pastoring, but before I was pastoring, I would travel a good bit NRP churches, 900P churches. And I went to this one church in particular and I was doing a few nights of, of meetings or whatever. And the worship team is going after it and the presence of God is there and we're singing, um, there's only one word comes to mind. Only one word. To, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty. Right? It's one of those songs that like you felt the Holy Spirit soon start singing it, right? It just happens, right? We're singing that song and I'm, I I usually, I'm worshiping or I'm praying in the spirit, kind of watching the room if I'm ministering somewhere, right? In case the Lord wants to start giving me prophetic stuff or whatever. And I turn around and I look and I'm just praying in the spirit. And I notice that the only person in leadership, not not that leadership that was worshiping, that wasn't on the stage, was the associate pastor. He was up at the front doing a Chris McCall impression, right? Giving it 147%. The pastor, was, he, wasn't, he was in the back row with his arms crossed. His wife was playing with somebody's baby. And the youth pastor, Al fell bad for him, was mopping up a mess in the lobby. So the associate pastor is going after it. And about 30% of the church was engaged. There's a difference when the pastor, and if you're a pastor, please hear me out on this as a worship leader. One of, the, one of the things that I used to struggle with the most is when a pastor would read his notes during service. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, because I'm like, like dog, ain't you been looking at that all week? <laughs> yeah. Because I promise you, right now, that man that you're wishing would be more susceptible and open to the Holy Spirit needs to see you with your hands up.
0: Right. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. That marriage that's on the rocks needs to see you and your wife holding hands worshiping together. Mm-hmm. That family who doesn't know what to do with their horrific, terrible seven-year-old or their teenager, right? The 13 that should be four. They need to see you holding your daughter's hand, worshiping. Lately, I've been pulling my oldest by me and saying, no, you're worshiping by me. But I don't want to worship by you. I never asked if you wanted to. You're going to worship by me. Why? Because I want people to see that we worship as a family. It's not just something Daddy does. Because people are watching me. But it champions vision. So when I'm, there's a song we've been doing before we lost the roof. After we lost the roof, it became like, for me, a rallying cry. It's won't stop now by uh, elevation. Um, because it captures the vision of our church. The chorus is, your presence is an open door. We want you more like never before. Your presence is an open door. I want you more like never before. Right? Our, the, the, the vision statement of our church is we're a church of his presence and a church of his people. That's what we do. Everything we do is about that. However, right now we need movement. We need a breakthrough. Well, the bridge is: I know breakthrough is coming by faith. I see a miracle. My God made me a promise, and it won't stop now. It's not the melody, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm like, I'll look at him. Like, bro, we ain't done it. We have done a few weeks, and I'm sure the band's getting close to being played out on it because I was (laughs) that guy who got played on playing songs. But right now, I need our church declaring, mm-hmm. yeah. I know yeah. breakthrough is coming. Right. Right. Amen. By faith, not by sight, I see a miracle. Yeah, good. Not because the attorney's going to call. Not because the, the contractor's going to do what he's supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> because my God made me a promise. And I get them singing this, and I get them, whatever the vision is, if you're going through growth, find songs that speak to growth. If you're wanting to take your people deeper into a, a place of worship, take them into it, get them back to their first love. Revelation 2, uh, I just want you, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do, right? That's this generation's, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, right? That's the, just the next version of it, right? Um, The one before that was, I surrender all. Generations usually write the same themes, just they sound different. But it's so important that we're finding songs that catch our vision. Please don't pick songs that are nice and on the radio because you like them. I'm sorry. But pick songs that support your vision, that are teaching discipleship, that are empowering your church to be the church that you see when you pray. Help sing their way there. You do realize that's how the Israelites passed down the stories. They sang them. I'm not going to try and sing in Hebrew. But that's what they did. They sang the story of Noah. They sang the story of Moses. They sang the story of David. What it did was it got in their mind. Some of you who are of the right generation can rap Ice Ice Baby right now. If the song came on the radio, stop, collaborate, and boom, you, you, you're on it. You're done. Because you listened to it when you were younger, and it just comes up like this, right? When I'm leading worship, I love when I get to lead worship, and I get to go on like that run of, of songs, and I get to pull old ones, and I love watching who knows them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's one of my favorite. We're singing a, we're singing a conference. I think it was uh, the, two years ago at National. We're singing, and um, I started singing, There is a river. And flows from deep within. And a lot of the room didn't know it, but Miss Penny did. (laughs) And I watched as Miss Penny went, because she hadn't heard it. That's what worship can do to people. But it's got to be intentional. And the last point I want to give you, because I want to get to some questions, if we have any. But um, I was preparing and typing this up last night, and the Lord gave me an analogy that I had never used In John 3.29, John the Baptist refers to himself as the friend of the bridegroom. Now, if any of the pastors need to correct my theology on this, I'm here for it. But John is identifying himself as the friend of the bridegroom while also being part of the bride. Because his salvation was purchased just like ours was. So he's a friend of the bridegroom while also being part of the bride that Jesus redeems. Why? Because John was ministering to the bride. If you research into the Hebrew wedding, which I'm not going to uncork that because that's powerful stuff. If you you dive into the Hebrew wedding, the groom would leave and go prepare the place for the bride, where they were going to live. And they didn't know when he was coming back. It was the friend of the bridegroom's responsibility to make sure she didn't forget that she belonged to someone who was away and not get distracted by who was around her, by temporary lovers, by temporary satisfaction, all that kind of stuff. That was their job. Well, as I was preparing this and kind of praying last night... The Lord wanted to remind me and to remind you that on Sunday morning, when you go to your piano, when you go to your drums, when you go to your guitar, your sound booth, when you go to the pulpit, you're the friend of the bridegroom. Your job is to make sure they're focused on Him. That's the fifth reason we need a strong corporate worship culture in our churches, is because corporate worship focuses them on Him. It's all about Him. Because that's why I said my favorite moments in worship is when we get to a song and I can stop singing. For example, sing it. Some harmony, come on. If we kept going, you're not looking at me, you're not worried about me. Yes, I, want it. I don't know if it was recorded, but it should have been. Especially your vocal field. Don't, don't think I didn't hear it. But, <laughs> my girl went, someone's like, huh, all right, all right, all right. We got past the mic up in here, <laughs> church. Um, that moment. You know what song's not going to create that moment? <laughs> I'm no longer. A slave to fear. We can sing it. We can add all the harmonies. I am a child. No longer a slave to fear. It sounds great, but it do not feel the same. Right? Don't feel the same. Because that's identity. I'm praising him for who he has made me. I could go up to a lost person, and I could say, "If I don't know what, the, that's why again, worship supports discipleship." A new Christian may not know how to talk to somebody who's bound by fear, but they could look at them and say, "Look, all I know is I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God because He split the sea and I walked right through it. My fears are drowned in His perfect love."
2: Just walk away.
1: He rescued me so I could stand and sing, right? I'm a child of God. It's theology, right? You can't walk up to a lost person and say, Holy, are you Lord God Almighty? It doesn't work. It's weird. Don't do that. But the reason it's so important is because we get to provide the soundtrack for the lives of the people in our churches. What's the soundtrack of your church? My favorite music, or my favorite soundtrack, as far as movies goes, is Braveheart. If you disagree, you're wrong. But um, I love Lord of the Rings is, is, is right in there. It's close. I'll give it one A, but Braveheart's got to be number one. I, I I pray to the Braveheart soundtrack. Sir, um, instrumental worship. I got to do warfare. William Wallace, please. Anyway, uh, but yeah, I'm telling you. But what's the soundtrack of your church? Are they always singing about who they are, or are they telling him who he is? That's what matters. So before we take the break, we got. 15 minutes. Are there any questions? I've okay, got one. Um, when, when you sing worship songs, what's your experience with songs uh, that worship God for who he is or for what he's done? What's like? How do you watch those two play out? I don't want to trample on what my mom's going to talk about because okay. she's going to address that a lot, but audience matters. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I'm going to make a quick parallel. When I teach on the path of the Holy Spirit... Right? I tell people that Paul says, I speak in tongues. No, I said, I pray in tongues more well, than you all. He says, but I would rather speak five words in English than speak a thousand in tongues. The difference in the words there, and some translations have it all pray, but in the Greek, it's pray. I pray in tongues more than you all, but I'd rather speak, right? Ooh, I don't speak to God. I pray to God.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I speak to people. So I would rather speak five words in a known language to you than pray a thousand in tongues to you. But I'm going to pray all day long in the spirit to him, right? The audience matters. So, and she'll get more into that later, but who, whose eyes can I look into when I'm singing I'm about to sing? That's, that's, for me, that's what helps me figure it out. And at the end of every worship set, unless directed by the Holy Spirit or the pastor I'm leading for, everybody's eyes are, are in his at the end. That's my goal. Mm -hmm. Um, Questions? Anybody else? I
2: don't know if it's so much a question. It's just like an affirmation, or maybe you can flesh out a little bit more. (laughs) You talk about, like I call it the the catechistic nature of worship, where you're imparting, because I asked your brother, like what was the second song you guys sang? Because that drew me, like I'm naturally a worshiper, but like I don't know my place here at the front. But when you started singing that second song, you're literally singing the essence of the creeds, Mm-hmm. You're actually right. getting yeah. doctrine into people. Yeah. And that's yeah. something that like, I, I don't know if you could flesh a little bit more because I think it was Vodi Bacham who said, we have a generation of young Christians who are very much in love with a the Jesus. They know very little about yep. him. Yeah. And yeah. The, that idea of like, like, what are your thoughts, I guess, on how do we, because I love hymns because it's, it's theology, it's doctrine. It's not just right. musical therapy. Um, but could you flesh that? Like, is there anything else you could add to that? I
1: guess I would say. Off, I <laughs> How fast can I do this? I would say I might write on this one day. I don't know. Um, I believe that there's a pendulum in the body of Christ that we need to find and break because we do this theologically, culturally in the church. Um, but somewhere around. I blame it on the Third Day Offerings album. If Y'all remember that? The live Third Day Worship album. Y'all remember that? Hey man,
2: the bus on the car.
1: No, not the bus. The bus is their, their first one. Okay. The Third Day. Oh, it did have a bus. I'm sorry. It's the bus, different picture. Sorry. You're right, okay? Jeez, um, watch your tone, man. Jeez. Um. I am your pastor, okay? I'm not just your brother. My gosh. Um, but um, that was the first worship album that got radio play. That I and she's vouching for it because she has heard more worship albums that didn't play on the radio than I have. But that was the first worship album that got radio play. And it exploded. Yes, it did. And that was the beginning of corporate worship. The industry of worship. Not corporate worship in a biblical sense, but the corporation of worship. Mm-hmm. At the time, right before that. Passion was doing their first albums. Chris, if you go look at those early first, those early Passion albums, it is like the Hall of Fame of radio play Christian music on those albums. They're all worship leaders: Christian Stanfield's on it, um, Chris Tomlin's on it, Matt Redman's on it. Everyone is on those albums, right? But they weren't. They were. It was Passion, and if you were in a youth group, you didn't know what the album was. That was when Hill, Your church was either singing Hill songs or Brownsville at that time. That's what you are singing. Those are the songs, and if, or you were singing the worship choruses from the 80s, the I exalted field, this house, his majesty. Like that's what, that's it. When third day happened, and people saw how much it blew up, they said, There's a market for this. Yeah. And then what happened is we the industry came in and took over worship. Wow. And then, and then to get to your point, theology doesn't sell. Come on. Right, In Christ alone, don't answer the question like the people that I know know this answer. When was that song written? 2001. 2001. That doesn't sound like anything written beyond 1900. But it was written in 2001. Why? I didn't hear the thing until like 2015. Why? Because theology doesn't sell. So what I'm noticing is that when I want to teach my church theology, and I think sometimes the younger crowd gets a little frustrated with me with it, and even some friends of mine, I'm not looking to new stuff if I'm putting out theology. I'm going to the stuff that my grandmother sang. I'm going to I'm, I'm do a series at some point called hymns, and all I'm going to be doing is preaching the lyrics of hymns. Right? Go read Rock of Ages. Chances are your sermon hasn't been that deep in a while. But going back to what he was saying, in Christ alone, and she'll get into the song selection stuff in a minute, but in Christ alone is not your typical selling point. But the reason Shane and Shane just recorded, I think, in 2020 or 2021, they just did a new release of it. And the reason it's blowing up right now is because people are like, it's not radio play.
2: Right. Yeah. It's rich. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, like nobody's writing that stuff because it doesn't fit the formula of the radio play uh, math equation. That means big seller. Right. Right. I had a brief bump in with Christian Radio and that whole industry. We recorded a live album in 08. I did a little tiny stint if I want to be Chris Tomlin. Um, and um, I was I ended up at a... Double Awards Talent Search in Nashville at the Marriott with everybody. I'm standing in line getting coffee behind the bass singer of the Imperials, which was like Michael Jordan to me, if you know about the Imperials. Um, brother Armand. And then behind me is Chris Tomlin's guitar player. And, oh, look, there's, uh, what's her name? I can't think of her name. What if your blessings fall through raindrops? That lady. She's, like, walking right there. Everyone, Toby Max, like, everybody's there. And that's where God called me out. To do youth ministry, but I'm in the middle of all of it and I'm walking around and I'm like, This is work for them, it's a job, and it broke my heart because there are tens of millions of Christians who are basing their theology and their walk with the Lord on a formula to produce sales. Oh, absolutely, it's a lot of because theology doesn't fill seats, it fills heaven. But it doesn't fill seats. You're going to have to add something? Um, yeah, so
2: I, I read a book, General Reset. I don't know if you have it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. But he draws a distinction of, um, you, and this is not me knocking anything modern, because there are some songs that come out, I'm like Jesus, but guard what you sing over your congregation, because a lot of the times, the same room that writes Tennessee, Tennessee Whiskey for... Um, Chris Chris Stapleton Stapleton is writing the songs you're hearing with Taylor yep like the same exact people and the same exact tables (laughs) they're sitting in the same and it's the same record producers that they're recording in the same studios but 10 minutes ago we were singing about how ice cold beer never broke my heart but now we're writing about we're singing a formulated song about Jesus and God will still use the songs like God will the theological sound like I'm not saying don't use them but you have people in boardrooms in Nashville that are marketing to your Sunday morning congregation Yep. and they're not trying to fill heaven. They're trying to fill their pockets. Yep. And so it's just something to be, to be used to sermon and be praying about because you really yeah, anyway.
1: So we got time for one more, maybe I think you had your hand up. Yeah. How did, how, so practically speaking, how do you, a given Sunday morning and maybe more question for Cody, how do you balance
2: like praise songs and worship songs?
1: You got to stay tuned for session two. Are there any other questions? Um, Not about song selection, because that's the next section.
2: Just maybe can you talk a little bit about how to grow as a theologian, as a worship worship leader.
1: Oh, man. Um, Well, I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you my story with that. Um, And I know NRP is a mixed bag, so this is not downing any particular camp, right? I was standing at work. I worked at a pawn shop, P-A-W-N, I had to specify, because my accent makes it sound like a different kind of shop. Um, And uh, it was not. It was pawn. And um, this guy walks in with a John Calvin as my homeboy t-shirt. And I'm like, oh, what's up? And he knew I was a Christian. I had no clue who Calvin was. I had no clue what Calvinism was. I had no clue what Arminianism was. And he starts talking to me and quoting scriptures, and my spirit man was angry. Not because I thought he was speaking heresy, because I had no clue what he was talking about. And I realized that at this point, I knew how to shake, rattle, and roll Mm. in church. But I couldn't pick up a pen, pick up a cup of coffee to have a single conversation with anyone about anything of any actual weight outside of a charismatic service. Growing as a worship leader, I'll say it this way, and I don't know if you guys preach this way, and you should play this way, which this might be the third session, but you never want to play to the max of your ability because you can't guarantee you're going to hit it. You never want to sing the highest note that you hit three times in college. Right? I hit that. Like, I've hit this note right here. I've hit that note five times in my life. You know what I'm not doing if I'm leading tonight? Singing that note. Because I can't guarantee it's going to happen. But it doesn't mean I can't work towards it. So for me, you can only give out of the depth that you have. As a worship leader, how am I going to know what songs I shouldn't be giving my congregation if I don't know theology? Get a systematic theology book. Get Wayne Grudem. Get Millard Erickson. Get get a systematic, systematic theology book and read. Ask your pastor, what are our statements of faith? Because I don't know. I want to make sure you know this, right? Your title does have the word pastor in it. Worship pastor. So you should be able to sit down and explain atonement. Amen. And if you can explain atonement, then you should listen to a song and say, that's not the atonement. <laughs> I'm not going to sing that, even though it's number one on K-Love I'm not going to sing that. There's a song that I'm not going to say. I should should I say it? Say it. Yeah. Say, it. Say, it. say what is
2: true. Hop on a horse.
1: I'm not getting on the horse. I'm not getting on the horse. And I got three minutes. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: There's. I can't do that. They already heard me say, it. I have to leave it on now. I have integrity. Anyway, um, this is not NRP stance. This is, not, this is my personal preference. Um, I think the worst worship song written in the last 10 years was Reckless Love. When I hear the song, my stomach turns. Why? Because a sovereign being is incapable of being reckless. Teenagers are reckless when they go to the club. They're reckless when they decide, YOLO, I want to go out and date this guy and sleep with him. It's reckless. The thought... That I And I got to realize, I was youth pastoring at this time, and I had teenagers saying, we're going to be reckless tonight, in a Christian way. We're going to go be reckless. We're going to go jump off the roof into a pool, right? That's what they were doing. They were being reckless. And the thought that they were going to connect the love of God to them jumping off of a roof into a pool made me want to vomit. No, 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 no. He was crucified before the foundations of the world. There's nothing reckless about it. It was absolutely and totally intentional down to the moment it happened. Don't to me. I'm starting to get angry. Don't (laughs) don't desecrate his sacrifice by saying it was flippant. And so I refused. I've already been in a service where the 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 song leader I was guest speaking was going to sing the song. And I saw the song set. I said, hey, I'm sorry. I need you to change that. It's a youth conference. And they said, what do you mean the kids love it? I said, I don't care. It's wrong. I said it. I'm preaching. I'd really appreciate not preaching after that song. She's like, but I said, if you sing it, that's fine. I'm going to just have you all come back up and sing something else afterwards. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like,
1: if you want to do it that bad, do it. That's fine. But, I, I, you know, and listen, if you feel differently about the song, that's fine. Feel differently about it. You know what? It's whatever. I don't need to theologically debate with you. What I'm saying is, is that for me, what I was stewarding, what I was in charge with, that was not a theological image that I wanted them to possibly equate with the cross. And so I said, no, we're not doing that. I can only do that because I understand theology that he was crucified before the foundation of the world began. This, 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 this wasn't an accidental thing. He didn't, God wasn't like adjusting on the fly. Jesus, you got to go die. Like That's not how this was. And I didn't want teenagers, especially, who are not going to be very in-depth theologically. They're not the ones that I had unless I taught them. Yeah. I was very careful that what they were singing wasn't contradicting what I was trying to teach them. Right. Mm-hmm. But study to show yourself approve a workman. Yeah. What's the most important? You want to know what the most important word in that verse is? Rightly dividing. Yes. Good. Because I believe if we can rightly divide the word of truth, we can also wrongly divide it. Yeah. Otherwise, he would, just, he would have just said dividing. But he said rightly dividing. So I believe as a worship pastor, I have to be able to rightly divide the word of truth so that the songs I'm bringing to my congregation teach them the word of truth. Mm-hmm. You're the filter of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Last, you'll probably talk about, are you going to talk about sending on down in your session or can I tell the story? Yes. I'll be very fast, 30 seconds and we're done. Um, you guys remember the song, send it on down, send it on down. Lord, let your Holy Ghost. You weren't even born yet. It's okay. But um, and what, what was the lyrics?
2: Lord, send it on down, send it on down. Lord, send your Holy Ghost down.
1: Lord, send your Holy Ghost, come on down. And we're sound checking. And she's got the 60 voice choir going at it, and the band is jamming. And our founding pastor had come back and was the associate. And he walks out during sound check and walks up to her, stops her and says, you can't sing that, it's doctrinally incorrect. Holy Spirit already came down. He's already here. We don't need, we're not asking him to come down. We sent his power down. We sent his presence down. We're not asking him, he's already here. So
2: we changed the lyrics, the Lord sent your Holy Ghost power
1: down. Right. And he was fine. He was <laughs> he's like, all right, that works. He still didn't like it. He's like, that's acceptable. I, I can work with that one. But one word. But think about if I'm asking the Holy Spirit to come down, and I'm in road rage traffic, and I got to pray, the Lord, come down. No, 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 he's here. He's already here. But Bob, who works at the factory, doesn't know that because he don't even know who Jesus is. And I got him singing wrong Theology. He's going to remember the song because he liked the bass line way faster than he's going to remember your sermon, your three points on Heaven and Healthy Marriage. He's going to remember that song easier. All right, we're going to take a break. If you have questions, come find us or whatnot. We're going to take a break, though.
0: For more information on our annual conferences, including our Leadership Conference, Women's Conference, Men's Conference, Youth Leader Intensive, and Youth Camps and Conferences, visit nrpastors.com. To check out all of our podcasts, including the Leadership and Context podcast by Keith Toosey, the Flourish Women's podcast by Penny Toosey, and the podcast for all of our conferences, click on the podcast tab on our website. We can't wait to see you at one of our conferences soon.